Well, this morning I want to start off by giving you an assignment. All right? And it's a month-long assignment. It has nothing to do with the message I'm about to preach this morning, but where we're going later on this month. Um, have you... Think about it for a moment. When was the last time somebody came up to you and just thank you for who you were or for something that you did? I was in a conference this week that kind of added fire to this fuel that I've been dealing with for about the last month in my own heart, and, and which led me to this assignment and everything. But he said, if, if, if you are a person that's had in the last month one person come up to you and just say thank you for who you are or what you've done without following it with, and oh, by the way, and then asking something of you, you are one of the richest people on the face of the earth. Because folks don't, we just don't naturally just going around and saying, Jason, I just, I just want to thank you for who you are. I've heard your testimony, I, I know about you, and I thank you for the man of God that you are. And not expect anything back from him. So here's your assignment. And it's, it's going to be an intense one. By the way, I'll never know whether you do it or not. <laughs> uh, no one else will ever know whether you do it or not. But you will know whether you do it or not. And, and if you want to take the challenge, fine. And if you choose not to take the challenge, fine. I want you to start today, November the 4th, and set a goal every day for the rest of this month. Find somebody different to thank for who they are or something that you've seen in your life, of, of the, in their life, of something that they've done. And I just wrote some things down, you know. I'm thinking of the folks like at the grocery store that sack your groceries into the bag so you can carry them out, you know. Uh, how about the person who delivers your mail? Uh, how about a bank teller? Somebody that, you know, you go down to the bank all the time. Uh, how about going to your next door neighbor? Uh, family, friends, police, firefighters, on and on it can go. Matter of fact, I got to doing this in my own life, and, and I have a P.O. box, and so when I open it up, I pull my mail out, and then I wrote a thank you note to the person who puts that mail in my box on a, on a post-it note with a sticky top, you know, where I could fold it over so that when they get ready to reach in there, that note is staring them in the face. In the face. Of course, it could get knocked off and they might not never see it, but that's not my problem at that point. I've done what I would want to do. So that's my challenge to you. May we be people who are just constantly encouraging other people by saying, thank you. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you are doing. And you are blessing my life. And expect nothing in return. You may get something in return, but don't do it expecting it. Just do it. Okay? So there's your assignment. I'll try to remind you as long as we go. And as we move toward the end of the month, 
you're going to see some things that I think will come out of that. So uh, we'll go from there. All right. So now I'm ready to get into my message this morning, okay? And we've gone from the yay, praise God, thank people for who they are, to what I really want to talk to you about today. Have you noticed life is tough? Ah, (laughs) there was a lot of response on that. Life is not easy. Uh, How many of you will be glad that after Tuesday there are no more political announcements? Yeah, I've got you there. Guess what? On Wednesday they'll start working on the presidential campaign. So get over it. It's going to be there. We're going to have to deal with it. By the way, vote. Vote where God leads you to vote, but vote. Okay? But life is tough. And there's stress, and there's strain, there's bills, there's health issues, there's the ups and downs of life, uh, parenting, taking care of children, children eventually taking care of parents as they get older. The stress and the strains, I mean, depending on where you are in life, that will determine the stresses and strains that you're going through life. And they change as you go along. But what I've heard so often is that people, when they get in these tough times, and they all come, everybody has them, they say, life is hard and times are bad. Matter of fact, you may have heard somebody in a time of stress where they literally say, you know, times are hard. I feel like I'm on been cast out to the backside of the desert. Have you heard that phrase? Have you heard people talking about that? I've heard people talk about that that have no church background at all, but you know where that phrase comes from, being on the backside of the desert. What, what biblical character are they talking about? What? Moses, exactly. You know, because here's this guy who had it all going for him, and the next thing he knows, he's out in the desert tending sheep. You know, life is tough. But what I want to say to you, hard times are not bad times. I wish I knew who said it, but they didn't sign their name to it. I like this phrase better. Hard times are just hard times. They're not necessarily bad. And that's what I want us to look at. I want us to go back to where Moses was. And if you will, go to Exodus chapter 1. And we're just going to camp in these first few uh, chapters of Exodus this morning to take a look at hard times. You know as you're finishing up the book of Genesis, the story has just ended that Joseph has died. And Joseph had written to be second in command And God was using Joseph to really help a nation that had gone through some tough times, the nation of of Egypt. He had warned him it was coming, and his warnings came to fruition. But because they had paid attention to him, they got through the hard times. He has now died, and we begin to pick up the story of what happens next. And when in chapter 1 it says, in verse 6 it says, Then Joseph died... And in verse 7, but the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly and they multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Jews were everywhere. 
the nation of Israel was everywhere and they were getting stronger and stronger along the way. And I just want to hit a few highlights because this began to cause problems in Egypt. Because if you go to verse 8, it says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. Enough time had passed that this new king of Egypt didn't even remember the history of generations ago where Joseph had been the one that had helped them get through these tough times in the nation of Egypt. And as you go on through there, if you drop down to verse 12, and it says, But the more that they were oppressed, the more they spread abroad, and the Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. We just talked about how they were increasing. And all of a sudden, it got to the point where the, the leadership of the nation of Egypt said, this, this is beginning to be a real problem. They're going to overtake us and they're going to be in control, not us. And so what the king does, he immediately says, uh, if you go down to around verse 16, and it says, if a son is born, you kill that child. If a Hebrew wo- woman gives birth to a son, kill him. If she gives birth to a girl, let her live. We'll get this population growth under control by having less males so they cannot father more children. But look at verse 17. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, so they let the male children live. Risky business, bucking the the system But they said, we've got to hear what God says above all else. And that's where we begin to pick up the story of Moses then at the beginning of chapter 2. And it says, now a man from the house of Levi, verse 1, went and took as his wife a Levite woman. And the woman conceived and bore a son. And she hid him for three months. She has this baby She takes this baby and hides him. But after a while, it's hard to hide a baby. (laughs) They make noise and they fuss. I remember when I first became a dad, I thought, wow, what's going on? You know, we have this baby and it just sleeps all day. That didn't last long. And then you have to start really taking care of them and chasing them down and they find their legs, and they begin to run. I mean, kids grow up. And after three months, in verse 3, it says, when she could hide him no longer, she took for him a basket. And she prepared the basket, and she put the child in it and placed it among the reeds by the river bank. Now, this mother cared about this child and was trying to help this child live And so she even sent this child's sister, go watch. You, you, You stick around here and watch. Let's see what happens with the child in the basket. And in verse 5 it says, Now the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. And she saw the basket among the reeds. And she sent her servant woman and she took it. And when she opened it, she saw the child. And that's when Moses' little sister 
came up to her and, and said, Shall I go and call you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Well, thank you very much. And the Pharaoh's daughter said, Yes, go. So the little sister goes and finds mom and says, Mom, Pharaoh's daughter wants you to come take care of this child. And so the mom actually had the chance to be with her son in Pharaoh's house. And the child began to grow. If you go down to verse 10, it says, And, and when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of so here's this Hebrew boy, this Moses, that God is miraculously taking care of by just some people being sensitive to the leadership of the Father. And all of a sudden, this boy who should not even be alive, who should have been killed, is now in Pharaoh's house, growing up as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And he's in the palace and he has some power because he's Pharaoh's daughter's son. And one day it goes on and you can read on through this, through the rest of the chapter uh, 2 here. But one day Moses was out and he saw an Egyptian beating one of his Hebrew brothers. He, He knew he was Hebrew. He knew he wasn't Egyptian. And so he walked up to this Egyptian and he struck him down and he killed him. He said, don't don't treat my brother like this. And he killed the Egyptian and he hid him in the sand because he was in Egypt and he had just killed an Egyptian and he was living in the palace of the Pharaoh. So he thought, I better cover my trail. And he does, and he thinks nobody's noticed. And the next day he's out, and he sees two Hebrews fighting. And he walks up to him and said, guys, cut it out. And they said, why? Who appointed you prince over us? You're going to kill one of us like you killed the Egyptian? And all of a sudden Moses said, whoa, word is out. I'm in trouble. People know what's going on. And if you get over to the last part of chapter 2, in verse uh, 15, well, about mid part of chapter 2, verse 15, and it says, When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. What I want to talk to you about is being in the desert this morning. Because so often when we think of deserts, we think of desolation and everything going bad. I even remember at one point when in my ministry, God opened up a door for me to go minister in the desert, a place called Phoenix, and I didn't want to go. It's hot out there, they told me. It was just my mindset. Deserts. 
They're, they're not good places. They're hard places. And I don't want hard times. I don't want hot times. But I want to show you something out of the scripture in the latter part of chapter 2 and in chapter 3. That deserts are not hard places, but they're places of possibilities, of potential, and preparation, and promise, and perseverance. And sometimes we all find ourselves on the backside of the desert in some form. And we can either chafe against it, we can kick against it, we can complain about it, or we can see what God's up to. Because I'm here to tell you, hard times are not bad times. Hard times are just hard times, but they are learning times. They're learning times. Mike, I, for sure, wherever Mike went, I saw him at one point. There he is, hiding over there. I love sitting in your Bible study class this morning and as you started, and I thought, ooh, this is going to parallel well with what was going on in Bible study this morning. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials. Because it's out of that experience that we can begin to gain some insight. So let's look and let's see. Let's see what God has to say to us about deserts or places different than what we normally think of them. Number one, they're, they're possibilities. Look at verse 16, and let me just read a passage here, and we'll talk about it. It says, Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and they drew water, and they filled their troughs to, to water their father's flocks. And the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and saved them and watered their flock. And when they came home to their father, Ruel, he said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered the flock. And he said to his daughters, Then where is he? Why, why didn't you bring him home? Why have you left him? Man, call him that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man. And he gave Moses his daughter, Sephora. And she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. Listen, deserts are a place of possibilities. There was Moses. He thought he was on the backside of the desert. He thought he was all alone. He was just out doing what he was supposed to be doing, taking care of things as they were. And all of a sudden, he notices these young ladies coming to draw water. And he sees the shepherds driving them off. And he says, hey, that's, that's not right. And so he stood up for the young ladies and he said, shepherds, stop it. Stop that. And he said, ladies, let me help you draw some water and I'll water your flocks. And because of that, their father said, wait a minute, why didn't you invite him home? The possibilities are there when you begin to look around you and see people that are there. And rather than see them as your enemies, people that are there to oppress you, maybe they're there to partner with you to open doors for you that you don't even know need to be open yet. They may just be the possibilities that God has placed there just for a time such as this. If we'll begin to look. 
And then we go on down into chapter 3, and it says, And now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro. He's married now. He's part of the family. They brought him into the whole situation. And Jethro was the priest of Midian. And he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire out of the midst of the bush. And he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. I'm not sure that's how he actually said it. I know that's not how I would have said it. I would have said, whoo, dude, cool, man. A bush is burning and the leaves are still green. I'm going to check this puppy out. I'm going to see what's going on here. And when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called him out of that bush and saying, Moses, Moses. And he said, here am I. And then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the father. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face for he was afraid to see God. I think Moses had stumbled into the place where he was beginning to recognize there is potential here. This burning bush was just not there as a novelty. Something's going on here. Man, God has encountered me on the backside of the desert. And if you read on down, starting in verse 7, let me just hit the highlights. I'm not going to read the whole thing. But it said, Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people. I have heard their cry. I know their sufferings. And I have come down to deliver them out of the Egyptians' hand and to bring them up to a good and broad land. Come, and I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. See, Moses was just like you and me. Moses said, hey, God, nice plan, but this doesn't look good for me. Remember, God, did you forget I'm on the backside of the desert because I knew if I stayed where I was, I was going to die because I had killed an Egyptian. And God said, I want you to go back to Pharaoh. And matter of fact, I want you to go back and say, hey, you're going to turn loose all the Israelites. <laughs> They're not going to build your bricks anymore. <laughs> Y'all are going to have to figure out how to do your own building now because we're out of here. But here's the real potential that Moses discovered. That one little phrase, verse 12, God said, but I will be with you. 
Listen, as a child of God, if you have a relationship with the Father through Jesus Christ the Son, you are never alone. God is always with you. And the potential is there, not because of who you are, but because of who God is. And He is going to work through you to perform what He says He wants to do. But deserts are also places of preparation. Go on to verse 13, and it says, And Moses said to God, If if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, "This Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. This is the only place in the Old Testament where there is an attempt to explain the meaning of the name Yahweh. It's the only place. And remember, name equals character. Remember when we were studying on on holiness, we talked about holiness is reflecting the character of God. The name reflects the character. And Yahweh, when you really look at it in the Hebrew, what it says is, I am who I am, I am what I am. And if you really look deep into the Hebrew there, it also says, and I will be who I will be, and I will be what I am to be. The potential is not just for the immediacy of the moment, but he says, I'm going to go with you, and I will be, be who I am, and I will be what I am now and in the future. And they didn't understand probably all of that at this point, but those of us who are living on this side of the cross, we see that. Remember how many times, go back and read the gospel accounts and see how many times you hear Jesus saying, I am, I am. I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. I am the resurrection. I am the alpha. I am the omega. And on and on he goes. And we see the fulfillment of that, of what was said. And what God was saying to Moses was, connect with me. Your major preparation is in falling in love with me and seeing who I am with you Because the potential comes out of me, not out of you. And if we'll begin to see when we're in the backside of the desert, that there is potential, but there's also the preparedness, the preparation time. That's valuable for us. Not seeking the instructions but seeking the instruction giver. I am has sent you. And then we go on down into verse 16 and listen what it says. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt and I promise, and I promise,
promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of all the ites. When we're on the backside of the desert, there are possibilities all around us. And as we begin to see how God is orchestrating that, we begin to tap into the potential that is there. And as we go through that period of preparation, it is sequential. As we seek to know who He is, then He says, now you've got it. Now you know who I am. Now you're going to be able to see that I am the one that's going to work through you. By the way, and here's the promise you can hang on to. Remember that passage in Jeremiah 29 verse 11 that everybody wants to grab? I know the plans I have for you. Plans to make you something better than you are. Not to hurt you or to harm you. But we stop reading there and we don't go on to where it says. And you will find me when you seek me with just a little bit of your Sunday morning activities. What's it say? You will find me when you want Seek me with your entire heart. And that's the promise. If you find God and you connect with God, you find the plan. Never did he say in his word, seek the plan. He said, seek me. And when you find me, you have the plan. Because I am the promise. And I will tell you what's going to happen. And then we get to verse 18. And it says, And they will listen to your voice. And you and the elders of Israel shall go to the kingdom of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go three days' journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So, I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. And after that, he will let you go and I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians and when you go you shall not go empty but each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing and you shall put them on your sons and on your daughters and so you shall plunder the Egyptians the last part of the desert is the perseverance he said right over there in the earlier part of chapter 3, I promise I will do this. Oh, by the way, when you go to Pharaoh and say, let us go worship, he'll say, uh-uh, nope. But don't worry. In my time, in my way, I will make it happen. And rather than just getting free to go three days' journey and worship for a day, They're going to drive you out of the country. They're going to say, get out of here because we don't like you here anymore. By the way, take whatever you want. Take our gold. Take our silver. Take our clothes. Take it all with you. So persevere. And if you'll remember when you go back through the plagues, 
where his mighty hand is working, it got tougher and tougher and tougher on the Egyptians while they were waiting for the promise to come. And even when they got free, they go, hey, we're free, we're finally out of here. And they get to the Red Sea and all of a sudden the Red Sea is behind them and they're looking at a horde of Egyptians coming after them. And they persevered. And they waited on God. And God parted the Red Sea. They walked through on dry land. He closed the Red Sea on the Egyptians and wiped them out. See, too often we quit too soon. Hard times are not bad times. Hard times are just hard times. But God will take us through. And we're all, we all experience hard times. It's, it's not unique to you. It's not unique to me. It's part of life. But it's the part where God is orchestrating. And when we find ourselves on the backside of the desert, what's it mean for us? practical application to this the possibilities are look around God has placed you where he has placed you at this time and he has already put around you the possibilities of people who are there to come and to help you just like he did with Moses and Moses was just going through his normal day doing the right thing God then began to make those possibilities become realities and he gets drafted into the family by marriage. And remember the potential. With Moses, there was the burning bush. As far as I know, there's never been one before or since. So don't go looking for a burning bush, but go looking for how God wants to get your attention to say, I'm here, I'm here I haven't forgotten you, and I want to speak to you personally. But too often, we miss our burning bushes because they're not what we anticipate God ought to look like. Sometimes it may be something very simple, but in the simplicity of that opportunity is the potential to hear God. And the preparation is when we really start trying to connect with God. What are you doing to connect in the relationship with God? I am convinced that most of us waste so many opportunities to get into the Word, to be taught the Word, to be involved in service, to minister to people in service. And that is the greatest way I know to connect with God. I learn a whole lot more from preparing messages to share with you than I think you learn from listening to my messages. I would be willing to bet all of my fortune on that. I learn more than you learn because I'm in with God for a week trying to hear his voice so I have something to say to you that's not my opinion but his word. And that enriches my relationship with him because I'm saying, God, I need to hear from you. I just want to connect with you. I want to know you with all of my heart. I want to seek your face.
And when we get in that place, then as we begin to listen, God will show us his promise for you at this time. Guess what? It'll be different than me. I will be different than you. You're not me, I'm not you. Be grateful for that, okay? You're unique, and God has a special word to say to you when you're on the backside of the desert. And when he gives you the word, hang on to it with all you've got. Because I guarantee you, there will be voices that will say, you missed it. Matter of fact, I have a friend. We were just encountering this recently. And both of us have experienced this. Sometimes the dream has to die. You say, God gave me a promise and I don't see any way. All possibilities, all potential, everything says it's not going to happen. And you watch the promise die saying, God, but you told me. Only for him to say, I'm not done yet. Your time is not my time. And then to watch him raise it from the ashes to where there is no way I can say, I did this. Boy, God, you're lucky to have me on your team because I watched it die. And then I watched God bring it back to life as only he can do for his glory and for your betterment. And that perseverance of staying under it. Hard times are not bad times. Hard times are just hard times. But God has a word for you. Let's pray. Father, we've all been there on the backside of the desert. We've all struggled with being out there and wondering why we're out there. Some are sitting in this room today saying, I'm on the backside of the desert and I don't see, even see the possibility, much less a promise. Father, take us where we are and speak to us very, very clearly. Show us the possibilities. Show us the potential. Prepare us to connect with you. Help our ears to hear the promise that you have. And then help us to stay under the, the task of the moment to let you bring the final closure in a way that brings you honor and glory. Father, there are some people in here today they're feeling on the backside of the desert because they don't have a relationship with you. And this doesn't make any sense. Life doesn't make any sense. I pray that today, just as we sang earlier, that, that we will just listen for your voice. And we'll see that you are our only hope. And Father, there are folks in this room right now that, Lord, you have a place for ministry in this church and they need to be part of this church so that they can use their gifts in a special way in ministry that you've called them to and you've gifted them for. 
Father, we all need each other because going through the desert is not necessarily fun, even though it is good when we come out of the desert. Lord, speak to us in a special way this morning. Free us up to drop our pride, to drop whatever opinions we have, and to just simply say, yes, Lord. I surrender myself to you. I will be obedient to what you have called me to be and called me to do. And we will do this to honor you, Father. In Christ's name, amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. Our musicians this morning are going to lead us as we sing. I'm going to be down here at the front. Jeremy and Lance will also be around here. If, if there's a decision you need to make this morning to be saved, to join the church, to follow in believers' baptism, to surrender your life to vocational service, whatever God is saying to you, if there's a decision you need to make, you come. While we sing, while we worship, you respond. Be obedient to what the Spirit of God is saying to you during your backside of the desert experience.